It is Friday and a few minutes past 6 p.m. Baba Biji has worked very hard to make his current reality come true. He has come this far thanks to his industrious spirit and self-taught discipline. At his age, many would reckon him too late to attain to the pinnacle of societal prestige of his time. You see, circumstances have reduced him to a late bloomer. But his petals have not all withered yet, and they still very much respond to stimuli. Even though he may never fully bloom, he has a plan, and it is just enough to enable him stick it through the tough times ahead while he prepares his family toward his premeditated destination, hoping that they would respond to the pleasantness of the beautiful sunrise. His plans are in fact centered on two of his priceless assets, his own sons, but they are a handful and they have proved nearly impossible to train. At only 14, it would seem that they had already devised plans of their own a plan that would crush his spirit this night. Are you familiar with the stereotype that doctors, lawyers and people of that caliber are the only ones with any prospect of becoming successful? Or were you perhaps brought up in a similar environment? Then you might just be able to relate to this story. I'm your host, Olawale, and welcome to part one of this episode, The Light in Our Stars. In this episode, I will be telling you a story about a father whose ambition to carve his name in the sands of time falters due to several unfortunate and unexpected events, and a second chance to break free from a potential generational curse that began with those before him. Would he break free from this ordeal, or would he succumb to the forces beyond his control? From our Lendo, this is Now You Are Here. Some aspects of this story may sound familiar, so I will hit the fast-forward button and bring you up to speed. The main characters of this story are two boys named Taye and Kende, twins, who were born into a home typical of that time where most fathers worked seven to five, even six, or six days a week to provide for their families and had they spent any meaningful time with their children leaving much of the responsibility to their wives to raise the flock. You already know the setting. The community has all the hallmarks of a ghetto. The usual murmuring and cursing the government about their failure to provide basic amenities like electricity and water. The roads are dusty and littered with trash from the overflowing gutters. So help them God, should it rain tonight, the stench would choke the neighborhood sending rats sprawling into the streets in search for food. It was getting late, and the evening darkness began taking authority of the skies. But the kings of the night, the northern Suya sellers, take their place beside every decent space, reasonably free of litter. Their favorite spot is the street junction, just under the dysfunctional street lamp and from their temporary domain ascends the exquisite aroma of the smoking of fat that conjures excited customers. As the saying goes, an essential ingredient of the suya meat is darkness, and these people only come alive in the night time. 
In this darkness, no one expects the newly installed street lamps mounted by last year's aspiring local government chairman candidate to light up tonight. It seemed the community votes could only afford its installation. Perhaps by next election, their votes might drive a good bargain for electricity running through them and into their homes. But this has been the dream since the 1970s. A dream too good to be true, and the poor do dream a lot. An Okada man cuts through the street with his headlamp beaming as it illuminates the houses shrouded in cover of darkness and comes to his final stop. His passenger, Babai Beji, disembarks to pay the fee. It is received by the rider who thrusts his hand in front of his headlamp to confirm that the correct fee has been paid, pockets the cash and throttles along in search of a new customer for the night. As the Okada man leaves, the street returns to darkness. But Baba Beji has managed to secure a ray of sunshine in his heart and approaches his home compound with the prospect of better days ahead, holding in his hand a weighty plastic bag, something to lighten the mood of the children playing outside. On seeing him, the children jubilate, cheering as they prostrate and kneel to greet him the traditional way, then embrace him, chanting, Daddy Oyoyo, as they procures from the bag the sweets and biscuits he bought along the way home. Although he is only father to two of them, he knew when each child came into the world and they all call him daddy. But no matter the light he bears, it is not enough to dispel the shadow of poverty looming over this household. They are trapped and only a few acknowledge this reality. Many never do till they are consumed. It is a truly dense mental condition, so dense that it has defined the customs of this community. Among the locals, there is the unwritten tradition that immediately after marriage, a couple is obliged to start birthing children like rabbits. It is funny that even though most family heads can barely afford to pay rent for a room and power, they oblige the social contract. The incentive is that it confers upon them a certain pedigree of respect. A respect so vague that it cannot buy you a three-square meal if you commanded it. As you can imagine, it is tough growing up in these parts. I say, let the poor breathe, but who will listen to what I have to say? Fortunately for Baba Beji's family, the accolade bestowed on this man would elude him. It's entitling him to be a guest at this club of poverty-stricken people. It would seem that he had begun to be affected by the dense mental condition that exists here, but was spared the initiation. The truth, however, is that he would never become a father of nations due to the quick intuitiveness of his wife. She had built a barricade so high that no matter how skilled Baba Beji was in long jump, he could never scale it. No matter how hard he tried to get his wife to birth more children, he simply shot blanks. A quick gist about how they got here. Several years ago, Mama Beji, then a young girl, following a naive childish romance, fell pregnant and had twins. Her experience at giving birth was an extremely painful ordeal 
that nearly cost her her life. But she survived. But that was not all. You know all those promises men make when they are wooing women. Lies. Lies, I tell you. She was promised heaven and earth by her lover boy. A nice house. Money. And to take care of her. <laughs> Rather, she observed the threads of patriarchy knitting the responsibility of raising her sons like a sweater for Hamatan just for her. She could not fathom bringing another life into this world until she saw things get better. Next, she consulted with the nurses on how to prevent a future roller coaster and tied all those ends by signing up for an indefinite birth control plan. One lifetime of poverty is enough, she said. Hi listeners, if you are still listening, I take it that you are enjoying the story. However, did you know that this podcast is best enjoyed when listening with friends and family? Kindly show your support by rating, subscribing and reviewing as it does a lot to help the morale. Tell a friend to tell a friend and see you at the end of the story. The breeze is soft and gentle. The granite stone floors, the concrete walls and corrugated sheet metal roofing begin to cool, letting off the afternoon heat that has baked this house into an oven. Although it is getting dark, there is still time to play, but the girls are called to help their mothers prepare dinner in the shared kitchen while the boys are left alone. The boys are generally not expected to be sweating in the kitchen with their mothers, but to be at their beck and call, in case their assistance was needed. But this was nothing but a ruse to keep them within sight. Mama Beji is alone in the kitchen. She has no daughters and hardly calls on her sons for assistance. It is the only way to prove that she is a capable mother and save herself from the gossip of her fellow housewives who share the kitchen and compound with her. She exits the kitchen to greet her husband whom she recognized has returned from the chanting of children playing outside as they announce his presence. She finds him just about entering the room and follows behind him. She greets him and asks how the day's work went. It is not easy, he says, as he kicks his shoes off his legs. A habit that often gets irritated but she does not react. He sat on the bed and began to unbutton his shirt. His wife crouches by his side to assist him and gently caressed his back while praising him for working so hard and strokes his ego. He pulls his shirt by the waist, swinging it off completely and his scent fills the room, but he is not yet at ease. In fact, his body seems to be trembling, but he tries to steady himself. He rests one hand on the bed rubbing the other against the stomach while wiggling his feet. Mama Beji reads the signs. This lion is hungry and is about to get really hungry. She must tread lightly. She hands him the local hand fan made from palm fronds and began to collect his clothes to be washed the next day. She stands up to leave promising to return very shortly but as she got up 
He grabbed her by the arm and retrieved the shirt. Frantically scuffling it in his hands, he found the breast pocket and retrieved some unmistakable pieces of paper from it that had been squeezed into a ball. He straightens them against the bed. One twenty naira note and two fifty naira notes. Gold he cannot afford to lose due to his wife's tedious hand washing skills. But his real fear is that once she leaves with his clothes, he can forget any hope of retrieving any monies he left in his pocket or any important pieces of paper, like the paper that contained the business card of an old friend from university whom he had been acquainted with. His friend had found him in such a pitiable state and had offered to help him by giving him his contact card. This was one of life's lessons he had learned the hard way and one of his biggest regrets of all time. Finally, he squeezed the shirt into a ball, wiped down the sweat on his forehead, around his neck, his chest and armpits and placed them on the waiting hands of his wife. Jo, Ibn Pami, he said. Mama Biji turns around, sniggering under her breath as she leaves. He asks for his sons, but she does not respond. Instead, she kicks his shoes aside and walks off. In case you did not get the memo, she's annoyed that she had been kind to him, but he had not bothered to ask about her well-being, how her day was, or whether she had any troubles looking after the children. No, he had not even said a greeting in reply, but had immediately requested to be served his dinner. The handfan does its job, and within minutes, his body begins to cool, but he is still hungry. It does not take long. His wife is back and presents him his meal. The aroma of his dinner makes him smile and remembers one of the reasons he fell in love with her. Food. Excited, he grabs hold of the stool next to the bed and sets it before him. Then Mama Beji stoops to set the dish, a bowl of amala in one hand and another bowl with two hefty chunks of meat that would make you wonder whether the animal spent most of its days in the gym, in the other plate. But he cannot begin his feast yet. That is to say, where is the wash hand basin? He asks almost angrily. She quietly heads back to the kitchen. She only has two hands. He kisses his teeth in irritation as his hunger intensifies, not being able to eat yet as the delicious aroma tickles his nose. At this point, he has forgotten all of his cares. He hears his wife bellowing the names of their sons for help. And in that instant, he remembers that he had requested their presence and begins to boil in anger. Instinctively, the idea comes to him that whoever comes first with a bowl of water will receive a knock on the head. But they do not enter just yet till he has had his dinner. Now feeling satisfied, he used the hand fan to cool off the sweat that has now saturated his body. Poor man. The words read by the pastor on Sunday, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, comes to mind, and he is not happy with his lot in life. He drifts into the daydream of the kind of car 
he would have been driving or the kind of house he would have owned if things had been different. He wonders whether there will be an end to this nightmare called life, whether he would get his happily ever after and see the end to his own misadventures. Let me open your mind to a small gist. Femi, aka Fineboy Femo, was son to a poor farmer and a petty trader. In his prime, Femi was a fine-looking man, pleasing to the eyes and was adored by the ladies. I know you're probably thinking, what kind of lame nickname is that? But back in the day, it was fly. However, being a fine boy was not all there was to the young man. He was smart, intelligent and a diligent student who graduated from the university with a second-class upper degree in engineering. Although he hated himself for not attaining the preferred first-class degree, that was not to become his biggest worry yet. If only he had seen the warning sign that read Shege ahead, which stands for severe heartbreaking and especially grotesque experiences ahead. Perhaps he may have been more proactive. You see, back in the mid-70s and 80s, tertiary education was taking a massive boom in the society. It was like the discovery of oil, leading to the rush to secure white-collar jobs. It was a long-term investment strategy that mostly panned out well for those who were able to afford expending much of their resources watering this seed. But wait a minute. Spending three to four years in the university, acquiring a so-called knowledge that may or may not guarantee you a future is kind of an improbable shot, don't you think? Whatever the case, a touch of nepotism sometimes helped to balance the equation. Hence the saying, no be everybody way go school, no more way. In other words, it is not everyone who goes through higher education that finds success in life through the said education. And unfortunately for Femi, this promised seed would never be a fruit. One trend of unfortunate circumstances after the other followed. First, his beloved uncle, who owned a big-time private construction company and had promised him a managerial role in the company died unexpectedly when the time came to fulfill his promise. The young man had relished in the dream that the keys to his financial freedom was secure and was only a stone stray away. But life had other plans. And the company? It turned out that it was not financially healthy either. It went bankrupt and all that was left of it gobbled up by greedy relatives who contributed little or nothing to its initial success and cared little or nothing about its existence. This meant that he would have to find his way in the world without much help from anyone, but Femi had faith. He taught himself to be a hotcake and reckoned that there would be an array of construction companies throwing themselves at him recognizing what an incredible talent he was. But the young man was not informed. Remember the sign that read Shege ahead? Yes, he soon learned that the future was not so bright after all. 
sharing the same surname with someone prestigious did not do much to help. Rather, it taught him another vital lesson, that a man's name, however prestigious, carried less weight after death. Worse yet, our eligible bachelor was soon to be a father. A new calling that would forever change his title from fine boy Femo to Bababeji. That is to say, father of twins. How did this happen? I'll rewind the gist one last time and bring you up to speed. By now, you ought to have gotten used to the unfortunate events happening in this story, so this one should not surprise you. This time, however, fine boy Femo brought this on himself. So this is the gist. Femi was deployed to serve his country away from home in Ibadan or your state as a substitute teacher at a local junior secondary school. It was during his stay that he met Ronke aka Ronke with the big bum bum. Ronke was not a student at his school, but worked at a popular buka or restaurant where they specialized in making amala with ewedu and all kinds of meats, a popular indigenous food in that area. Her father was a well-respected chief and head of landlords in the community who raised her in the strictest and most conventional way that held that a woman was to get married, raise the children, and support her husband to the best of her ability. But this did not mean that women in those days were not empowered and were simply damsels in distress. Runke's mother owned the very buka where she worked. She was a boss in her own right and was the very pillar upon which her husband rested. Femi patronized the buka daily and soon an acquaintance was forged. He loved the meal prepared there, but he craved something more, something fun. The repercussion of that illicit fun led to an avalanche of painful regrets that bears another saying, if you don't cry, how will your eyes clear? In other words, if you do not learn a lesson from hurtful experiences, you will likely not make better decisions next time. So here is the vital lesson he learned post-clarity that he would pass on to his sons. A bomb bomb, no matter how big, does not make for a very comfortable pillow in poverty. Reality cashed its check. The young man who was just starting life, living under his parents' roof with little or nothing to his name and holding on to the possibilities the door of education could one day open, finally turned to menial work. A desperate attempt to bear the weight of his new responsibilities hanging on his shoulders. Now you're up to speed. Finally, the twins entered the room. But their father was too tired to pick a fight. He has good news, 
but unknown to him, it will not be appreciated by the recipients. He announced that he had signed Tai up to be an apprentice at a law firm, a move to acquaint him with the ropes of becoming a lawyer. And Kendi, he presents with the choice of either becoming a lawyer, like his brother, or a doctor. Whichever it is, this family was getting out of poverty one way or the other. But as I said at the beginning of this story, the boys had other plans. Tai could not be bothered about a lawyer's wig, much less a suit and tie, except it would make him look like Michael Jackson. The young boy loved to sing, and the music duo, P-Square, was the rave of the season. If only his brother could break dance like a cold, they would have been a perfect band. Kende, on the other hand, was different, and they knew he was gifted. The boy wanted to be an artist. He liked to draw, and he did not see himself as anything less. Their father's heart shrank as they protested. He could see no prospect of this fantasy they had carved off for themselves. Over my dead body, he screamed. This was his roof, and they would do as he pleased and order them out of his sight. Frustrated, he commanded that they must not be fed anything that night by their mother. Otherwise, she herself would be in serious trouble with him. And so the night went awfully quiet. Babaji, pained and disturbed, asked himself repeatedly where he had gone wrong in his life for things to turn out so badly for him. And his sons, unrepentant and out of sight from their father, brooded over the events that had just taken place and cried to their mother to intercede in their behalf. They would eventually cry themselves to sleep, but every day holds promise for those who are willing to ride on the sunrise. What happens next? You will just have to wait and see. Thank you for listening to this episode. This story was written, edited, narrated, and produced by myself, Olawali Shobule. The theme music was by Pixabay and edited by myself. The image cover was by the artist Obolaji John. See the episode shows notes for his Instagram handle. He has interesting works on display. Tell him what they sent you. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, kindly show your support by subscribing to Now You Are Here, wherever you get your podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend and see you on the next episode.